I was I couldn't figure out a way to like tweet it concisely or whatever, but it's like main pop girls. I wanted to tweet like main pop girls are running out of inspiration. Like you know the next Lord album's gonna be like this is inspired by Teo Cruz. Yeah, right. Oh like my God. we're gonna like run out She's of shit. She's gonna go full inspired. loose. Yeah. <laughs> like Nelly did. Lord's no like, girls be... have still done it like Nelly did it, where she's like, I'm going to make the most interesting folk pop music ever, and then just be like, eh, I'll just work with Timbaland or whatever. <laughs> and now I'm a whore. And now I'm a whore. And then she was like, and bye. <laughs> now came talk. 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 All right. So interesting that that was our intro because I feel like the movie we're doing this week is like mm, the it's exact just, opposite of everything yeah, we like, were just doing. What about the 60s? What about the 60s? What about actual high art? The Magnificent Ambersons, her to her. Oh, have you watched a French movie before? <laughs> Symmetry. Well, welcome, 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 everybody. It's another episode of straight people movies coming your way our 25th episode isn't that crazy that. Oh. girl not. she's having her quarter life crisis now mm-hmm, she is she's starting to realize that she may be a little fucked up in the head yeah, yeah. oh no oh, no <laughs> well anyway if you have never listened to us before this is straight people movies uh we are the podcast where each week two gays get together we watch a movie made for straight people and we just ask the question why? Let's do it in in a Wes Anderson character voice. Uh, uh, <laughs> why? What? Why? 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 Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Why? Oh. Oh. Why? Anyway. Smoking. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, I'm Kirk Van Sickle. I'm Dylan Garcia. And uh, yeah, in case you didn't get that, <laughs> Wes Anderson. You know, we're talking about. The man himself. That's him. And we, we chose, I think, a very, I think we we chose smartly on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because after rewatching this movie, I really do feel like this is the, this is the true breakthrough Wes Anderson movie. Like, yeah. in the broader sense of the term. And it is also an important Wes Anderson movie. Because I feel like it's the fir- it's the beginning of a transition into what we have now. Yes. It's the like Anderson the first. We know love now. Yes. It's the, okay, so if. Um, let me see. Uh, Bottle Rocket is the lobster. Rushmore's yes. killing of a sacred deer. Yes. This is the favorite. Or if we want to get really topical here, Bottle Rocket is Ain't Them Body Saints. <laughs> a ghost story is Rushmore. And the Green Knight is the Royal Ten of Bombs. Bitch, the Green Knight. <laughs> Bitch, the Green Knight. Go, we should have just done the Green Knight. Honestly, do you just want to talk about the Green Knight? <laughs> no, no, I did not just sit through this movie for two hours. I know, hours yeah, sorry. Let's. <laughs> uh, but I would love to. Let us get thirty seconds on the clock uh, to talk about the Green Knight. I will start it, and okay, I'm at. I'm looking at my thing. I will start it. The timer starts right about now. The Green Knight fucking slaps. That movie is amazing. It's incredible. By far my favorite Broy movie I've seen in years. Yes. I'm obsessed with it. Alicia Vikander saying "led." <laughs> Is my favorite part of the movie. Uh, the amount of cum in this movie is fantastic. So good. I love that it made no sense. I love mm-hmm. that a painting was made using like a, a light and shit. I don't fucking know, girl. I love those big giants, giants with the big old titties. I like the king where you can't understand a fucking word he says. And I like that the last twenty minutes of the movie is basically mommy. 
Oh my god, I'm obsessed <laughs> with the movie. I think it's great. I think it's uh, it takes an old idea of manhood and mixes it with a contemporary view of manhood. And I and somehow I left the theater going like, wow, we really all should just kill ourselves at 21. For real. And that's time. That was about okay. 45 seconds, but I don't know if right, we're talking so about it forever, but we can't. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about a movie that's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year as well. Uh, yes. Also, you know, you, you, you we, we just did another 2001 movie, so maybe we should just keep this going. You know, just like we 2001 should, yeah. movies. Talk about Gosford Park next week. Donnie Darko. We already did that one, but Gosh, hey, look, we can do it again. Look at you that. Did the director's <laughs> cut, bitch. <laughs> um, we're doing the Royal Tenant Moms this week, everybody. Yes, mama. Get your, your big fur coats. Get your tennis gear. Get your red track suits on, baby. Yeah, get your favorite J.D. Salinger book. Sit down, smoke a cigarette, and put on the record player next to a fire, baby, because we are doing Wes Anderson's. I think this movie might have the biggest legacy of any yes. of his movies. It, oh. It changed Everything. Everything, bitch. Literally everything. Especially when you're like us who are like art consumers. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could call us hipsters 10 years ago, even though yes. that word's outdated now. This is the blueprint, bitch. Oh, mama. This is the blueprint. Everything of that shit. was this movie. Everything. I remember I saw this movie when I was like 13 years old, and I was, I didn't get it, and I didn't understand why it was mm-hmm. funny, but I was like, but I want to be this interesting and cool. Yes, I want to understand. I, that's the thing about a lot of like, okay. Back to the Green Knight for two seconds. I oh my promise. god! But like go. people talking about like I didn't get it, I didn't understand it. It's pretentious, whatever. Bitch, when a movie is called pretentious, I love it. Oh yeah, me too. I want movies to be called pretentious. I want a movie. To, I want to figure out a movie. I want to be I challenged. Give I love yes. being challenged, bitch. Yes, bitch. This is hard. And give this me is why I didn't like Tenet. Okay, because Tenet wants you to figure <laughs> it out in a cerebral way, and I don't want to do that. I want no. to figure this shit out symbolically, emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. aesthetically, bitch. Mm-hmm. Ain't That's talking about math. Yeah, I don't want math. I don't, I don't want, want a plot to understand. I, I want to understand. Whenever I see a big old titty giant walking around, I want to understand that this is actually <laughs> a metaphor for being not being able to to have bad decisions in your life and not being able to hold yourself up higher to that you can't stand on the shoulders of giants and make yourself tall right and it's also like we go through like life is just like the green knight it's like an odyssey right we're like mm-hmm. really ran- it's like girl we make narratives up in our minds that's the way mm-hmm. the human mind works so girl if you see a film you put your own narrative in it bitch that's the whole point yes, yes. girl a movie is a conversation bitch girl bitch Oh, it's bit. a conversation between you and the piece of work. Mm-hmm. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at a painting, bitch? Yeah. You ever no. look at a painting and be like, I don't know what the fuck this is? No, bitch, look at it closer. Like, actually look at it for, like, more than five minutes. Yeah. That's what my, d- friends, my friend who loves Wes Anderson told me that once. Yeah, look at He was like, when you go to a museum, put your fucking phone away, and mm-hmm. you look at that painting for more than five minutes. Get, and get close? Yeah, get close. Look, step look back? And then you get, like, midway there? And then the you like, look at the stranger over? next to you, and you go, hmm, yeah. Hmm. Monet. Hmm. I'm rewatch. Okay, so I'm listening to the uh, the audiobook of Angel in America right now. Okay, I've watched it. Swear to God, like at least fifteen times. Saw it on Broadway. Read the play. Listening to it again. Shit that I'm discovering for the the new for the first time. It's, right. It's, it's incredible. That's what, like that. That's what we want, people. You shouldn't be able to digest something immediately. No, this is sorry. Food. That's not art. No, it's art. All right, um, so before we get started into it, let me go ahead and give a little rundown just in case you haven't seen it or you just want a little rundown yourself. Uh, today we're talking about The Royal Bombs. It's a 2001 Wes Anderson films. I put... <laughs> it's a 2001 Wes Anderson film starring Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, 
Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Danny Glover, and of course, the man himself, Bill Murray. Yep. Straight people and legend. Straight people legend, baby. Um, is this our first Bill Murray movie? I think so. Oh my god. Wow. Damn. Wow, we, okay. I think we got we got our first Wilsons, we've got our mm-hmm. first Hackman, we've got, got our first, first Stiller. Stiller. Look at is this. Our first Paltrow, bitch. I think this might be our first Paltrow. We haven't okay. talked about Country Strong. <laughs> uh, the plot of the movie if you haven't seen it uh, Faking a terminal illness Royal Tenenbaum, that's his name uh, Is the absent patriarch Returns to the lives of his eccentric family For better or worse Mostly worse And it is currently available to rent from the usual suspects I watched it Okay, before Yeah, I watched it on DVD Highly suggest Okay Watch it on a bad Watch it Don't watch it good looking I want You want the cracks That's the kind of thing That happens to Wes Anderson Later on Is that he gets real clinical You want to I, I say put a little stank on it Watch it on yeah. VHS If you can Yeah I, I could feel the energy I watched I rented it On Amazon mm-hmm. Um And you know Even though I didn't watch it In like lower resolution I mm-hmm. feel like something That I will say That I loved about the movie Rewatching it Is how Indie and low budget, it mm-hmm. is, and like I mean, I mean, clearly they put a lot of work into the art direction of the movie. Like, goddamn, yes, but ma'am. there's something so beautiful DIY about it. I feel like the his movies have kind of lost that, yeah, because they've gotten many. She got man. She got that Fox Searchlight mini. Yeah, she's she got that Fox Searchlight money, honey. Mm-hmm. And is, um, she was in it's, Buena it's Vista really, pictures. It's, it's really lovely to watch, and I. Well, what what did you think of it? What did you think of it this time around? Yeah, um, I haven't seen it in a minute. I really liked it. I, I think it's all of his. Mo- he has no bad movies. I think he just has lesser movies. Yeah, I I, I liked it a lot. This viewing. Yeah. Um, I think it's still probably one of his best movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a weird. I had a weird. I don't know. Yeah. I had a weird. Hmm, I don't know. It didn't feel like complete. Like the Wes Anderson package didn't feel complete this time. Right. With this, um, like he didn't feel like his story was told yet. I think my still favorite, my favorite movie of his is Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom. That's my favorite by yeah. him by far. That's like a five star movie. Five star movie. I think everything comes into place that he's trying to do in his career. I think he tells the correct story. I think it's scaled correctly. Um, Kids I love movies it. are what he should be making. Yes. Oh yeah. That's why my favorite films by him are like my top three would be like this Royal Ten Bombs. Um, Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox, and two of yeah. those are kids' movies. Yeah. And, I mean, this I, one has a whimsy, a childlike... I mean, all of his films have a childlike whimsy to it. It's, like, kind of one of his, like, themes. Yes. It's, like, arrested development adults, you know? Yes. But I, I feel like my issue, this go-around, I mm-hmm. started off being like, oh, God, I love this movie. So many yeah. things are, like, so recognizable to me. Like, the, 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 the legacy the movie has, mm-hmm. you see its influence everywhere. It looks beautiful. It has a great pacing, great, funny, weird dialogue. But the biggest issue I had with it this time around is the film is so hollow. Yes. And that's one of my biggest issues with all of his movies, actually. Well, yeah, they're all like the whole, his big criticisms that he just makes like a dollhouse. He just makes like a diorama. It just like, it didn't hit at all. And you know what? I think this movie might actually be garbage if it weren't for Gene Hackman's Exceptional uh, performance in this he's movie. He's so good in that. He's amazing at it. He's the yeah. only one I think to me that actually really transcends the style, where he's mm-hmm. still a character, which is his whole thing, right? These characters are so specific, so yeah. niche. But he's able to be that niche character and feel like a real person to me. And he mm-hmm. has an actual arc. Yep. That I believe. Yep. And everyone else in the movie. I mean, there's there's some fine performances in the movie, but I feel like he's the only one that's like really giving it. And it's his last performance, right before he retired. 
Oh, really? I, I didn't think know that. so. Look at that. Um, well, he like he is the only. He's like to keep with the dollhouse metaphor. Like he's like the one doll that you would like pick up and move around and stuff. Everyone else is just kind of like Margot. She just kind of sits in the bathtub. Um, Owen Wilson. He's just like the weird cowboy guy that sits over there, and everyone's kind of very static in their own characters, and everyone kind of only exists for Gene Hackman to react against. Right, and I think that what threw me off because I'm a big family drama guy. Okay, love I love like drama. secrets and lies. I even mm-hmm. like shitty ones, like the Family Stone. Like I'm a sucker. Oh, Rachel getting married's great. another favorite of mine. Yes, and I understand this movie's not trying to be any of those movies, but it's still a dysfunctional family film at the, the center mm-hmm. of everything, right? And it's like okay, so I understand what everyone's relationship is to Gene Hackman, but mm-hmm. what are their relationships with each other? Because exactly. I feel like outside of like Richie and Margot, like what yeah. is Margot and Chaz's relationship? And also, like. They never explain why Chaz, like, hates Richie. No. He just, like, hates him for no reason. Just because. And, like, I think Owen Wilson's character's funny. Like, he's got some some of the funniest parts in the movie that I, like, Yeah, he's the silliest. He's, like, the clown. At. But, yeah. again, I feel like his character, I was kind of like, okay. So, he's, like, one, he's like I always wanted to be a Tenenbaum. And I'm like, okay. Like, but it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't click. Like, yeah. nothing clicks in the movie the way it should. I, don't I feel know. that. Yeah, and I, I do think it's like him working through. It's like so that like the movie before this is Rushmore, and that's such a small movie. We watched that recently. What a that movie is great. The movie's I great. I Rushmore. think I still prefer Royal Tenenbaums over it just because aesthetically I love it. But Rushmore, mm-hmm. I think, does a better job on, in the emotional territory than yeah. this one does. Yes, and like, but like uh, Royal Tenenbaums definitely seems like okay. I am leveling up. I, I feel like I've heard that term a lot recently. Like people describing people like artists and stuff leveling up. And right. this is very clearly a leveling up movie, but there are, like, growing pains to it. There's growing pains to it. And I think people are, like, afraid to, like, talk about them because mm-hmm. there's some of them are really glaring to me. Like, as much as I love, like, Gwyneth Paltrow's character in this movie, I mean, icon, legend, Legends wanted to be skinny, just like her it. when I was a kid. I, I feel like the, like, whole, like, ghost world knockoff, like, detached girl thing grows old by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Thank God Gwyneth is so great at playing the character because yeah. you end up, like... <laughs> buying it when she's like breaking down with Richie at the end you know Mm -hmm. but also her decision to be like I think we need to just be secretly in love with each other for a while I don't know I know that's his style but it's just like I hate that so many things happen in his movies where you're they don't give you an explanation as to why they're being that way they're just being that way yeah and I just feel like it's kind of lazy writing at the end of the day yeah like it's like irony and humor like superimposing itself over just like uh, you just don't even you just don't know what to how to get your characters from A to B it's so crazy to me that this is the same year as Zoolander Oh my uh, with god! Owen Wilson. And I think, like, as a comedy, like Zoolander, we should probably do that again. That movie is yeah, that movie's hilarious, incredible I, movie. Speaking of Ben Stiller, I actually think his performance is distracting and the weakest part of the movie. I agree. I don't get why. It's just he, he's he's like he's at a a ten when the rest of the movie is like at a kind of a like a, a five. Yeah, it's like it could work, like him being kind of the more like franticy. You know, if you want to look at all the characters as, as different peanuts, it's hard not to when you've got mm-hmm. Charlie Brown music in the soundtrack. <laughs> um, but if you want to, like, see him as, like, kind of, like, the anal type, which one was that? Schroeder? Uh, Schroeder just... Did he, no, he just he's just vibing. He's Is vibing. there an anal one? Lu- he's, like, the Lucy, I guess, for... Because... They're... He was probably... Which one was the lesbian? <laughs> he was, oh, like... Patty. The, pa- Patty. Patty was chill, and then... The, who was, like... Hurts. They're all chilling. You know, this is a bad metaphor. Let's go with uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh characters. Okay. There we go. So he's like a rabbit. Okay. He's uh, like yeah. anal. He's uptight. He's like mad all the time. But even rabbits got peaks and valleys, girl. Mm-hmm. Even rabbits Remember when got rabbit peaks and gets uh, stuck in the hole. 
I love that. Chill. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> but I feel like he, it's just two one note, and then at the end when he like is the one that's the closest to Royal out of all of them before Royal dies. It just mm-hmm. again the earned feeling just doesn't. It just doesn't yeah. land. Although he know. is responsible for my absolute favorite joke, and it's not. It's just fully. It's wholly a visual joke. It's when they're at uh, the funeral, and he's. Him and his kids are just wearing a black tracksuit. Oh, yeah, that's good. That was really good. Great joke. The best. Let's talk about the jokes for a second, and then we can yeah. move into just talking about Wes Anderson in general. Because, let's do it. Because, you know, the jokes are really. They're there. The, it's, the, it's the jokes with the delivery, right? The delivery mm-hmm. is where the bread and butter is for him. Mm-hmm. My favorite joke in the Royal Bombs is absolutely after that harrowing sequence where Luke Wilson kills himself to Elliot Smith. Yes. And he gets to the hospital, whatever. And like Margo's running up to the doors and she sees that Dudley kid and she mm. goes, where is he? And he looks around and goes, who? <laughs> That's that is the so funniest funny. part of the movie. That is yeah. so funny. I love that. Scene. Or when like she's talking about like Dean being depressed. She's like, I'm pretty sure he's depressed. And she goes, and then um, Angelica Houston goes, are you? And she goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just little things like that. Just like, the, like it, it does feel like the characters are all, like you said, static. They're all so, and that's part of the humor, right? It's yeah. like, there are all these like ships all like separated in the seas and they all yep. just kind of interact every once in a while. <laughs> and every communication they have is just miscommunication, yep. you know? Another like, I think it's the same scene where like it's uh, Margo's in the bathtub watching TV, like really close to the edge and Angelica Houston tells her to turn it off and like her leg becomes like 12 feet long. Yeah. I love that. The editing also helps a lot in this movie too. The way it's edited, like Mm -hmm. it's so funny to me. I love, yeah, it's great. I mean, there's so much great humor in the movie, but I think the humor and like, we'll get into this with Wes, the humor almost sometimes becomes, it makes everything else submit to it a little Mm -hmm. bit. And then, of course, now his style has been so, like, he's turned up the dial so yes. loud film after film. The Royal Tenenbaums looks like child's play compared to, like, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, you know? it does. Well, that's the thing. It's like all the, all the stuff that came. Oh, actually, let's hold on to that conversation. Let's hold on to that conversation. Let's talk about Wes Anderson. Let's talk about Wes Anderson. because Texas I think, boy. Because, you, yeah, Texas boy, which is so weird. It still it's blows so my mind weird. that he's a Houston boy. Insane. Yeah. It, I thought he would be like Dallas. Like yeah, Dallas, at Dallas. least Dallas, or maybe an Austin boy, but a maybe. Houston boy. Houston. Did you see what his parents' names were? No. He is the son. I'm going to read this directly from the Wikipedia. He is the son of Texas Ann Anderson. Her name is Texas, and his dad's name is Melver. Yep. That, that's all you need right there. Hi, this is my mom, Texas, and my dad, Melver. Please. Welcome to Cannes. Do you think that maybe he was like raised like by older parents or something? Like maybe he was born like like it was like a geriatric pregnancy, and they were yeah, just so stuck be, yeah. in like, the '60s and '70s, and he just like lived in an environment where it's like the house hadn't been updated in forever, and that's why he's such a weirdo. Well, I don't know. Allegedly, he's he's the middle child. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Which honestly tracks. He feels like a big middle child. Just well, like you, a, know, and that, you know, we'll get into it later, but that gets into my whole like thing that like Wes Anderson taps into for a lot of straight men. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that middle child syndrome, honey. But anyway, Wes yep. Anderson. So we got Bottle Rocket, right? Yeah. You know, and it's been a while. It's been a while since I've seen mm-hmm. that one. Same. Yeah, I remembered watching and being like, you know, I appreciate this. Cute. But the 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 dry comedy without the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's it doesn't. Mm. No, it's not they, for me. They had to go together. I need the camp. Yeah. I need a little bit of the camp. His his version of camp, whatever you want to fucking call it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Rushmore is Rushmore a one that I've always struggled with over the years. I find Rushmore 
painful to watch. Um, <laughs> I found it painful to watch when I was a kid, and I feel like, I feel like it's a painful movie to watch as an adult. It's such an embarrassing, humiliating movie it is. about embarrassing, humiliating people. <laughs> it sure is. And it truly, to me, is maybe the ultimate cringe comedy. Yeah. I think you it's know? underrated as its influence in a cringe comedy. Yeah, because I think that for me, like, when people think of Wes Anderson, you know, the Royalton of Ops seems to feel like the start for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And now at this point, everyone's so caught up in his Moonrise Kingdom, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel era that I think people forget where he started. And it's like Rushmore is like a dark, weird, sad, funny yeah. movie, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, and then we're, you know, at Royalton and Bombs, of course, where we're at now. But then it, he enters... We love a director that has a flop era. And this is what's so interesting with him. His flop era, his fans love this era for him. True. And it's so insane because both of these movies, I mean, I think there's no bad Wes Anderson. Yeah, I but enjoy like, watching all of them because I love the visual aspect mm-hmm. of these movies always. I do. I think Life Aquatic is probably my least favorite of his. It's so bad. And y'all, like, <laughs> I know so many straight dudes that worship oh. this movie. Worship Life Aquatic. So George, what's his name? The the guy who did the sound the soundtrack of all the Bowie covers. Oh Sue my George. god! He like Ugh, fucking that's he like one of those tore several parts recently. of the movie. I know. That's when like his soundtrack work is so good. He has such a good ear for soundtracks. I know he really does. But in fucking Life Aquatic, it's unbearable. It's Darjeeling so Limited unbearable. is so. That's lesser. That feels Darjeeling Limited is probably his most forgotten movie. Mm-hmm. It's the smallest. I mean, like it's weird because like, you say it's the smallest. I say it's the smallest, but it's like the one that's like globe or globe but like in india and like really the most vast but like the story's so small and it's just like dudes and their dads there i think what what he lost with those two movies and it's gotten worse as he's gone along his last well-written female character is margot tenenbaum sadly Mm -hmm. even though she's not really written it's just gwyneth plays the fuck out of her yeah but That's, it's like for me, there's such a broiness to Life Aquatic and an even mm-hmm. bigger broiness to Darjeeling that it's oh, like, okay, yeah. this movies these movies really are made for straight men. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's so funny that I find, like, I actually know, like, a lot of women that really love his movies, too. Oh, same. Maybe, maybe oh, yeah. that's just because of the aesthetic. I mean, that's why I like it, but... Yeah, I mean, that's how... My, I was introduced to it because of my aunt. Like, she showed it to me because she loved uh, Rushmore. And, yeah, that's how I first saw it was my aunt showed it to me. Um, but, yeah... Yeah, he's a bro director, but like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, that's when he started fun. going back up for me. I love that film. I think it's so gorgeous. Fun. I think it captures more, uh, in my opinion, it captures Roald Dahl's tone better than any other movie ever has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you read a Roald Dahl book, that's like the vibe. Yeah. You know, they like yeah. take, they make it too absurd. I feel like in some of the films I've seen, even though I love like the witches, like Nicholas Rogue's The Witches with Miss Angelica. Yes, um, it, it, There is like a certain kind of like, silly effervescence to it that I feel like is actually not really in his work a, uh, in a lot of it. It's like, yeah. Oh, he, he is flat water. He is not, he is not sparkling mama except for, and Phantasm Mr. Fox. And then I'd argue in Moonrise Kingdom, which is like, I, the reason I like Moonrise Kingdom so much is that it makes his, his movies are very childlike and he like actually makes them about children. That's the thing. That's why I think it's my favorite film by him because all of his movies are about child adults, but these are actually children, Yeah. but they're like the most like level headed people <laughs> in the film. Yeah. Which I thought was really fun. It kind of takes that, like, Simpsons-y idea of, like, the smart children, the dumb adults, and yep. makes it live action. And, and, and you know, the, put the fucking amount of just aesthetic 
bullshit. Yeah. That, and it's also a period movie, right? He like mm-hmm. that movie's set in like the seventies or sixties, right? I think so. That sounds right. I like that. I think that yeah. like once he started setting his movies in the past, like I think that's why I really love that one in the Grand Budapest because I think for mm-hmm. me. It's like Tarantino too, where it's like it's cute doing this whole contemporary but not timeless thing. But I like it when these directors just actually just you know what we're just gonna send this movie back in the past. Why not? Yeah, um, like his most acclaimed like, and by acclaimed I mean like box office and Oscar wise. Like I won four Oscars at Grand Budapest Hotel. That's a movie that I've never gone back to nor felt the need to. I've seen it twice. I enjoy that one a lot, but it definitely if we're talking hollow. Yeah. Oh, it is that's full dollhouse. Maybe and it was really disappointing after Moonrise. And you know what's so funny is so many people don't like Moonrise. That's crazy. I that... know people that like that were Wes Anderson fans, loved Life Aquatic, loved Darjeeling, and they fell off on Moonrise. That's insane. And I'm yeah. like, they're like, it was too whimsical. And I was like, that's what that's what he yes. needed. He needed whimsy. Because yes. it was a little too stifled before. And mm-hmm. then now was... he's like letting it stretch out a little bit. You know? Yeah, it was too neat. It was too clean. And then he like was like, okay, well, I'm going to like react against that. And be really clean of Grand Budapest Hotel. Isle of Dogs. I like Isle of Dogs. I I've... hated Isle of Dogs. <laughs> That's like probably that. his coldest film. Oh, it's so cold. It's just, it is statues. But I love the animation in it. It does use one of my all-time favorite songs ever, which is I Won't Hurt You by the West Coast Pop Part Experimental Band. And that's about it. <laughs> I yeah, give it, I give barely, it two thumbs up remember for that. it. I think score's yeah. great. Score's my, really good. And I really I am not excited for the French Dispatch. I keep hearing it is just like cold. Yeah, cuz apparently the movie is like three different stories with very different aesthetics like back to back to back. I'm tired. It's just I'll, too much. It's I'll too much it. at this point. I feel yeah. like he's like lost anything really to say as a filmmaker. I mean, his mm-hmm. style is probably the most distinctive style of any director uh, of the last like 20 years who you can't take that away from him, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just think that there, I need more. I need more. I want to see him pivot. I want to see him pivot too. I want to see him do something. Honestly, I know I literally would never say this with any other director. Fucking give him a Marvel movie. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> I want to see how he that was do- cursed. I want to see him do something truly. Sci- I want to see him make like a horror movie, but he can't make it look like a fucking dollhouse. He can't. Honestly, he doesn't know how to not do like a like a, a wide lens tracking shot with the profiles. Yeah. He doesn't know how to like do a over the shoulder shot. You know, Look, everything has to be like straight on or side. You know. Yeah. Look, I, so one of my favorite bands is Low, and right. they are yeah in their fifties Mormons. They're but they make slow core. They did like ten albums just like real slow acoustic, real quiet music, and then they did this album. It's kind of predicated in ones and sixes, but they go full for it an album called Double Negative, and it's full distortion, full, like, <laughs> the whole time. One of my favorite albums of all time, and, like, the biggest critical acclaim, they, like, reinvented themselves, like, found a new voice again. I'm saying I want to see his Double Negative. I know, but not a lot of bands do that, Dylan. I know, they you know, can't. And a lot of directors don't do it either. They can't. Just um, let, give it I, to me. I feel like, for me, his, what Wes needs to do, I think, to surprise me as a filmmaker is to make something really simple. Oh, like, I yeah. think he needs to scale it back, keep it really simple, and actually try to tell, like, a human story. I would like to see him mm-hmm. try that. I really would. Let's meet him in the middle. I want him to I, talk. I like his niche characters. I just wish yeah. that they were more, I don't know, like, people. <laughs> I want him. This is, here. Let's go. Let's, let's, we'll read right in the middle. I want, let, he needs to make a Texas movie. 
He needs to come roots. back to his roots. Maybe he should make a Western. Ooh, that would be cool. It that's it. That's it. Okay, that's it, bitch. That's, that's it. it. He needs to make like a western. Ooh, because Bob Hoskins like kind of the closest thing he's got to one. Yeah, in a way. Make a fucking make a full on western, like inspired, like what whatever, like Woody from Toy Story is inspired by, like that. Yeah, do that. I would love that. I think they do really like a Howdy Doody movie. Yeah, yes. that sounds so fun. I would honestly, like to see that. Well, honestly, like it would be interesting to see him work in like marionette. Like if marionette. he does like another, like he does like a he does animated movies from time to time. Like he did like his two right. stop motion movies. Fucking do a puppet movie, dude. He would Fucking kill a puppet movie. <laughs> do a puppet movie. Oh my god, make like a Jim Henson yes. style. Uh, oh man, yes. that'd be I wild. Would, I would love that. it. Love it. All right, <laughs> let's get back into um, Wes Anderson's Wes The Anderson. World Bombs. The Bombs. So. Obviously, I think one of the things that makes it stand out a lot, and we've talked a lot about soundtracks before in other episodes, <sighs> but I think that, yeah, Forrest Gump, yeah, 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 Pulp Fiction, but I feel like the Royal Tenenbaums is, for our generation at least, mm-hmm. I think that without, like, the Royal Tenenbaums, I don't think any of us would be as interested in, like, older music. I'm just going to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, at least as music nerds, I think that, like, this introducing us to these, like, you know... Even, like, the Rolling Stones, like, my dad wasn't playing, like, Ruby Tuesday for me growing no. up. You know what I mean? He's playing, but, you know, Start Me Up. He yeah, playing, exactly. Yeah. He's playing, like, Some Girls, Girl. Yeah. He's playing, like, yeah. the fun songs. I think that's, like, another thing, like, we, like, you know, from Pulp Fiction and from, like, Forrest Gump, our idea of, like, 60s and 70s music is this very, like, bombastic, just, I don't know. What that, that was and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Song. And then he's like, okay, well, here's all these really quiet, subdued songs. Like, the most famous song, I mean, is Hey Jude, but that's, like, a recontextualized, like, an orchestral piece. And then, like, me and school, who, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, which, like, I, I mean, like, it was it was famous. Like, that's, like, a, Paul Simon's famous, but yeah, kind of, I think, like, in 2001 is kind of, like, his last big thing was, what, Rhythm of the Saints in, like, 92 yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like Wes Anderson was part of a moment in film, but also in music, where we started really looking back on 60s, like, jangly pop music, because mm-hmm. that same year, you got The Strokes' is This Is It coming yep. out, The Shins' O Inverted World, mm-hmm. and I feel like that you can see, like, at least especially for us, because we were so young, to me, like, Wes Anderson's work is on the same timeline as, like, The Shins. Like, it's, yes. like, all the same shit to me. It all exists in the same universe to me. Oh, yeah. This early 2000s, and, like, I think it you can see its biggest influences in, like, Arrested Development, the show. Obviously, And yeah. that's the biggest one. And then also, like, the aesthetics of, like, early Sufjan. Absolutely. And I think that, like... You know, there's a couple of movies, I would say, that, like, kicked off the, like, 2000s indie quirky comedy mm-hmm. thing that was going on. But this was definitely, like, the biggest one That's to really one. kick it off. Like, Ghost yeah. World, yes, a little bit, but it wasn't as huge as The Royal Gen of Bombs was. And he got some stuff from the 90s, like, some of Noah Baumbach's early work, too, that, mm-hmm. like, kind of, like, pushed this vibe. But I think that, like, The Royal Gen of Bombs really aestheticized the vibe. And then you wouldn't mm-hmm. get, like, your Little Miss Sunshines or your Junos. Your Napoleon Dynamites. Your Napoleon Dynamites without... The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because... It's interesting. I think that, like, Wes Anderson, the one thing he really did for the culture is I think <laughs> he made movies about smart, dumb people. Yes. Or dumb, smart people, I guess would be the better way to put it. Yeah. And, and I feel really... like that became huge in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Especially because it's like the they're presented like as geniuses, as right. like textual geniuses. Like you watch each and every one of them, how like fucked up their lives are, and like that whole idea of like being like a a, a fucked up genius is like. I mean, even in what's also two thousand one is a beautiful mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of obsessed with geniuses in the 2000s, weren't we? Yeah. All these, like, biopics about smart people. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, the World Ten Bombs kicked off this whole, like, I wish I was, like, a New York boy. Yes. Like, we're, I, you know, I, I guess we can start getting into it now. But I think, you know, as we segue into what makes it straight, it's mm-hmm. like, I think that a really important thing to point out here is, like, the World Ten Bombs is, like, ground it's the foundational groundwork for like what i would call like the modern soft boy Mm. and these characters these male characters in this movie this is what these soft boys aspire to be like Mm -hmm. they all want to be richie tenenbaum like (laughs) they want to be like a depressed tennis player who wears sunglasses inside and like reads like check off for fun you know they want to be or they want to be owen wilson like the weird kind of like overbearing life of the party but like still cool yeah you're like a drug addict but you're like kind of quirky and strange you know and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and like the all the girls want to be Margot, you know detached weird mm-hmm. secretive and kind of a bitch you know yeah and it, it's just really i think that that is the biggest takeaway from watching it now is i was like damn this really had a chokehold yeah on like indie culture for it's a crazy while. like i think this is probably the only time i'd ever be able to say like this is why straight people love this movie, but is like the costuming. Yeah. That is what's so fascinating about Wes Anderson. You know, we've talked about straight camp before, but like his mm-hmm. version of straight camp, it's not my, like when I think of straight camp, I think of like Michael Mann and like shit like that, you know? Yeah. But for me, this is such a specific thing. And, you know, I think people might be surprised we're doing Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. Like on the surface, they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, like Wes Anderson, like that's not straight people, but it is, it it's is. It's such a unique straight people movie because Sure, gays can like Wes Anderson movies, but these mm-hmm. movies are not made for gay people. No. These it's are something about- we say. We say a lot of, like, straight person is a spectrum. Right. Not every... We're not going to... If it wasn't, we'd be doing Transformers the last night every episode. Exactly. Like, we'd be doing, like, the obvious shit. Yeah. There is a... There is a... A, a straight culture conversation to be had about the importance of Wes Anderson upon straight culture. And it has. I think for me, mm-hmm. like, especially, like, I'm just... Being a film school guy, especially, like, when people make fun of, like, film majors, like, the memes and the tweets, like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. there's a specific kind of guy. They look just like me. They've got facial hair, (laughs) glasses, dark hair, you know, and they look like a fucking, like, piece of shit hipster, (laughs) right? The difference is I'm I'm gay, so I get a pass and it's camp. But for them, it's like they don't know that, like, we all can read them, like, fucking filth. It's Mm -hmm. like... And, like, the whole soft boy thing that happened in the 2010s, I loved it because, you know, before it's always like, oh, fuck a chat or, like, fuck jocks. Like, get yeah. with, like, these, like, bookworm dudes that listen to, like, the Velvet Underground. And it yeah. turns out that they're just as shitty or maybe even worse than a chat. Yeah. Yeah. That's been the funniest thing I think that's happened in the last five years is the internet's realization, like, oh, shit. These, like, yeah. skinny little pipsqueak dudes are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's even if we didn't really like it that much, but Promising Young Woman, you know. What right, he exposed doing? that, like with like, uh, the yeah. Bo Burnham type, you know? Yeah. Because it's the same, it's the same, it's the same shit, different, you know, it's the same shit. It's same the same shit. kind of vibe. And, you know, it all started with the Royal Tenenbaums. I really, really think that. I think mm-hmm. that Wes Anderson has, it's like, ba- yeah, baby's first movie. It's like, yeah. <laughs> this generation's Tarantino, you know? Yeah. I, I, there, is an, there is an important place for there to be, like, your first auteur that you love. Yeah, of course. 
tours and all of them are going to be basic. They're going to be basic, girl. If I, when I meet girls, they're like, um, the first auteur I fell in love with was Claire Denis. I'm like, get the fuck no, out you of didn't. my face. You're a fucking no. liar. Shut up. No, you know, it's it's full galaxy brain where it's like, first is like, I love Wes Anderson. Second is like, I love Fellini. And the full galaxy brain is Brian De Palma is the greatest director of all time. No, that's, that's <laughs> so true. I feel like so many uh, cinephiles, like, you know, you go through the whole, like, yeah, you start with the baby shit. You start with, like, Tarantino and, like, Scorsese. Mm-hmm. And then you, like, are like, oh, I'm going to watch, like, weirdo shit by, like, Maya Duren. And, like, how, I'll watch House and... And be like, oh, yeah, there's, like, weirdo shit. Oh, Takashi Miike and shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, actually, is Brian De Palma the greatest director of all time? Because <laughs> you know what? I watched this movie, Body Double, recently, which is, like, his take on a Hitchcock movie. And mm-hmm. it is literally a masterpiece. Brian De Palma does no wrong. I rewatched Mission Impossible recently, for the first one. Fucking masterpiece of a movie. He Incredible. is so good. And I think that that's what ends up happening. You end up just loving Brian De Palma and Michael Mann. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, actually, are these the greatest directors of all time? I think like, yeah. Like, Black Hat. Black Hat. That movie's Black perfect. Hat, bitch. <laughs> bitch. Um, um, this is our first movie in a very long time, I can think of, that has a dad. I know. Right. Daddy Front issues center. were kind of like the first 10 episodes, really a cloud over everything we were doing. And we mm-hmm. really thought we were onto something. And then I feel like the last like 10... Well, we've been so all over the place. Yeah, we've been truly we've been on we've a journey, bananas. bitch. And I think mm-hmm. we're going back to our roots a little bit with this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, this movie is about your dad and how like looking up to your dad is flawed and how your dad can be human, too. Well, that's the thing about Wes Anderson movies, right? It's all of his movies are about like relationships between men. That's what. Yes. That's why I was kind of I kind of was getting at it earlier. But I think the reason why like a lot of like soft boy types relate to this movie is it's their own version of their own masculinity crisis. Mm-hmm. So it's like instead of being like big and being the best and like being good at, like you know sports or whatever like Rocky type shit. Yeah, it's more about like wanting your dad to be proud of you because you like wrote like a novel at twelve, <laughs> but he's not impressed. You know, it's like yeah, it's a very specific like smart boy problem. Yeah, um, exactly. and I think that's why so many soft boys love this movie and like his work because. Not even just the Royal Tenenbaums. It's like the Darjeeling Limited. It's about brothers. You know, it's mm-hmm. always about, like, something. Familial yeah. brothers, dads. Like, in the women in the movie are just like, again, I hate to be, like, a feminist. But it's like, they're <laughs> but, so in the background. Yeah. It's just like, okay, like. So he didn't have mommy issues. He had daddy mm, issues. issues. Actually, he probably secretly has mommy issues. And doesn't well, know that's a, kind of like the implied thing in the movie is that. Uh, Royal wasn't there, so then it was just Angelica raising him, and they all ended up being fucked up. Right. That's the team. And that's the thing, is it's like, I think every single hipster boy I know is like, fuck my dad, but I have this, like, weird relationship with my mom where, like, she's my best friend and I love her, but also, like, I hate her guts. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, see, I think that, like, y'all are so concerned with your masculinity when it's actually, you need to, like, get in touch with your feminine side, because I think it's the mama. It's the mama Mm -hmm. problems for Mm y'all. Look, I'm going to sit you down and get a big bowl of pop secret. And we're going to watch mommy. We are going to watch mommy. I and you're going to learn something. Dylan. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because I feel like mommy, it, just because Xavier Dolan is gay, it, it, like it ends up being in like the LGBT category, but it's not a gay no, movie. No. I mean, it's not. a gay There's... movie as in a gay people movie. They dance to a whole ass Celine Dion song. But in the, the characters, none of them are gay. None of them are gay. And it's just like, you're right. <laughs> I'm shook right now. Every straight man, okay, any straight man listening to this, go watch Mommy. I think this could be good. This could be therapeutic yes. for you. It's on Tubi. There may be some commercials. Uh, it's Feel incredible. That. 
Throw it's it, three yeah. hours long, has crazy aspect ratio changes. If you saw Waves and loved it, you'll love Mommy. You'll Come on. You'll love Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back to the aesthetic of this. This movie, so anything, everything past this doesn't really have the same, it feels very clinical and very like uh, decorative. This feels actually homemade. Yeah, that's and why I it's my favorite it. movie of his aesthetically other than Moonrise. Yeah, because it feels, Moonrise also like feels homemade too. Feels, yeah. Because it feels like it was made by a child. Because there's all the really like good handwriting, like the bows and arrows. Fine, oh, I love fucking. Oh, I man. love Moonrise, and it's so funny because yes. when it came out, I was in film school. People were like, "Oh, I didn't like Moonrise because it felt like a parody of a Wes Anderson movie." And I was like, "Oh no, I feel like Wes Anderson actually like looked inward and was like, I just want to do what I want to do." Yeah. And I felt like a sense of like freedom and liberation from yes. the movie for him. I just got a Criterion of it because it's on. Oh, it's on such a sale. beautiful cover. Beautiful cover. Incredible cover. Um, but I, well, I think we talked about it earlier, but it's like this really did influence kind of like the the visuals too, because like this movie influenced storytelling and kind of like its soundtrack, but also its visuals were really important because like look at stuff. Uh, I keep going back to Napoleon Dynamite, but that feel like the biggest uh, thing. Napoleon Dynamite, and then like I know you like it, I fucking hate it, but like um, I I think the end of this is me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Oh, absolutely! Is the last the last final breath of influence of. Uh, World it's bombs. so funny because me and Earl and Dying Girl I know you dislike it but it was like such a hit when it came out with critics and then I feel mm-hmm. like it just kind of but it was the final nail in the coffin yeah. of this kind of like quirky indie boy style yeah it was the last as soon as it came to theaters we all went oh no what have we done like oh god we need to be stopped at all costs yeah yeah. Uh, and then yeah the next year we got Moonlight or something. <laughs> yeah no I, I think that me and Earl and Dying Girl was like the last of like a focus features like Fox Searchlight moment, mm-hmm. and that's when A twenty four really started its chokehold. Yeah, was in the mid like Moonlight is when the chokehold started, and then yeah. it's like Lady Bird, and then it was over by Uncut Gems. You know, yeah. Oh, wait, when is me and Earl? me? Let me me and it's twenty fifteen, I believe. Okay, we got yeah twenty fifteen. So I was like, okay, well, so I'm thinking like Spring Breakers comes in 2013, 2014. Yeah, but no one understands. No one is. Yeah. Right you know what I mean? the... No one was ready for that movie. Mm-mm, we still aren't. <laughs> no, I, I try to get people to watch it. Cause I'm like, I'm like, it aged so well. Like yes. it's so beautifully aged and people are still like, eh. I'm like, no, yeah. you don't understand because it's like, it's what all a 24 movies are doing now. And everyone's lauding them for. Yeah. But like, then everyone was like, what the fuck is this? An art this is... film about girls getting drunk on spring break. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Look, could you imagine if a movie came out today and was like the middle main sequence of the movie was like a love letter to Britney Spears, people would be like, this is fucking corny. Oh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. It's so um, good. Oh my God. Spring uh, Breakers is so good. Uh, speaking uh, of Britney Spears, um, is there anything gay about this movie? There's one. I mean, Angelica. Come on. Angelica oh yeah. I would say, yeah, the two Angelica. big female characters. Two, very, very gay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love, in every movie we do. I love Angelica Houston's character in this movie. Yeah, she's um, great. I feel like she feels like a real mom, like a mm-hmm. real, like, a mom that would, like, raise precocious genius children. Like, yeah. she feels like that real person to me. And I really like her performance a lot. But the gayest thing about this movie is fucking with Paltrow's Mama. insane, beautiful portrayal love as you. Margot. When that Nico song comes on, girl. Yes. Game oh changer. Oh, my God. Gwyneth Paltrow's character in this movie is so gay. And yes. I feel like she's gay in the sense of, like, it's, like, look up to gay. Like, it's, like, I wish oh. I was Margot. I actually... Yes. So let's talk... So we've talked about before how I worship female characters in movies, and I'll try to emulate them in my life, you know? Correct. Bridget Fonda from Jackie Brown being my mm-hmm. number one, of course. Yes. But Margot's in the top ten. I oh, yeah. 
Once when I was really depressed in my early 20s, I got in my bathtub and took an hours long yes. bath and listened to Cat Power on vinyl and was like, <laughs> and, and smoked cigarettes in the bathtub. And I was like, I'm Margot Tenenbaum. Which Cat Power the greatest? No, I listened to What Would the Community Think, Girl? What Would the Community Think, Girl? What Would the Community Think, Girl? Yeah, I listened to that early Cat Power hand. Yes, man. I'm talking we're going to be Shelly on the drums, Cat Power hand. Ooh. We're going to be yes. seeing her soon. I know. You've seen her twice. <laughs> I've never seen her, and she's one of my favorite musicians. She's one of the few artists where, like, I pretty much like every single album of hers. Mm-hmm. Like I love her early shit. Myra Lee, dear sir, what would the community think is a chokehold on me. Moon picks masterpiece. You are free. Incredible. The greatest. Awesome. Still love son. Never listen to wanderer though. Interesting. I love that cover. The cover <laughs> of wanderer. Yeah. I don't know why I love, it. I just remember so it, but I, just, I love the cover of wanderer. I, think that's why I didn't listen to it. Even though I <laughs> loved the duet she did with Lana. Oh, fantastic. And there, and of course I listened to both of her covers records. So. I love anyone that does those covers records. Like yeah, I think Mason it's really Gray. Fun. Uh, <laughs> it, although all the Angel's uh, covers she's been doing with this EP have been garbage. Who? Angel. Olsen. Oh, I, Angel's like whole like post All Mirrors moment has been really annoying to yeah, me. I love up. Angel, but it's just like, girl, no, how many good. iterations of these songs are you going to release? <laughs> it's like she did True Blue with Mark Ronson. I was like, I'm going to do that forever now. I mean, it was a collapse. And the duet with Sharon is a, a collapse. Uh, I love Sharon. I'm so fucking. I love Sharon. Much. The cover that Fiona Apple does of one of her songs on the. So she re-released her album Epic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called like Epic 10 and it's got like a bunch of covers. Yeah. And Fiona Apple does a cover of one of the songs on the album and it's truly incredible. It's like, I'm... honestly, Fiona is like the queen of covers. Like she's notoriously done amazing covers. Her cover of Across the Universe is by far the best Beatles cover I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, her cover of, for the Chipotle commercial. <laughs> but she did that Chipotle commercial and she did that cover of uh, oh, well, it, Pure Imagination, imagination. from yeah. like Willy Wonka. Amazing. Yeah. Her cover of Sally's song for Night Before Christmas. Incredible. Iconic. Iconic. Yes. And this cover of the Sharon Van Etten song. I'd never really heard the Sharon Van Etten song because I'm not really familiar with this record by her. Mm-hmm. But it is so good. I listened yeah. to the original. I was like, oh, Sharon, I love you, baby. But this cover that Fiona just did of the song is like, it's... it knocks it out of the park for me. Have you heard Sharon's cover of Black Boys on Mopeds by Sinead O'Connor? No, but I love that song. And that album by Sinead is just so good. Bitch. It's gonna, it's gonna. Phoebe also covered it. Oh, love that. Barbara. You know, I feel like Sinead O'Connor is one of those musicians where musicians really love her, but Mm -hmm. I feel like people are not as into her. And it's really, it's really a shame. Um, I really love, I feel like late 80s, early 90s, like alternative female rock mm-hmm. girls have really like faded away in the years. Cause it's like, it's I love Sinead, like Indigo girls is great. Yes. I feel like people sleep on them. And I also, <laughs> the really, lesbians that are listening. Oh yeah. Tracy like, Chapman. Tracy Chapman. Such a great album. And then, um, another is like Sarah McLaughlin, like pre-surfacing. Yes. Her album, uh, fumbling toward ecstasy. That has a oh, building of mystery on it. Oh, such a great record. And I feel you know, like people like, don't like, I don't know. It's standing, I, she's not quite rock. She's not the same, like, kind of, like, uh, and I mean this in the, the biggest compliment because I'm so jealous I never got to go, but Little Affair, but it was, like, uh, Nana Cherry. Oh, Remember yeah, Nana yeah. Cherry. You know, I never really got into her, but she's Her great. latest record's incredible. Her stuff with the Avalanches, incredible. She is the one who quietly makes great music now. 
my my boyfriend's rummaging through stuff, and you know what? That's okay for the sound design because it gives it gives character. So character, don't worry, huh? babe. You don't have to be so slinky. You know, you can do whatever. Yeah, Alex do... is having meetings behind us. Yeah, it's fine, girl. Yeah. Um, um, is, but anyway, uh, I can't think of anything gayer besides of... Gwyneth. Um, not really. Not really. Um, because, like you said, and you know, I feel like we should even delve deeper into this. We just. I mean, it would take, like, it, this could be like an episodes series, mm-hmm. but, like, the costuming in this movie, it is really incredible to watch a movie that is so stylish in yeah. a way that's not like The Matrix, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, like not, <laughs> not, it's not like an action movie or something. It's like, this yeah. is a indie dramedy, and the costuming in it is very outlandish, but it mm-hmm. feels straight. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the thing, the thing you go to parties in, like, the fucking 2010, you know there's a couple there dressed up as Luke and Gwyneth. I can't remember. It was Margot so and I can't I remember his to, name. I need to tell a story. What's the so story? What's the thesis? So years ago, because I've lived in Austin for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, there was this literary journal uh, that came out. I don't want to say the name of it because I don't want to like, I don't know. I don't want to like offend anyone. I can bleep it if you want. So it's called. Okay. And there was this guy it. that I kind of like, I was kind of in this circle of like people that were all really into literature because my really good friend Chase is like really into literature and he's like a poet and stuff. So now all these like literary nerds and they like worked on this like literary journal together. And I'm pretty sure they only did two issues of it. Like it like mm-hmm. literally like went away so quick. Um, but to launch their literary journal back in like 2012 girl, like this is like mm-hmm. a long time ago. They mm-hmm. threw a Wes Anderson themed party for the launch. I know you can't like this is this kind of stuff couldn't happen nowadays, but in no. 2012, honey, Oh. That was the height of hipsterdom. That's like when hipsterdom started dying. Oh, yeah. That was Bill Murray showing up at fucking, what was the bar he went to? Oh, yeah. Like Shangri-La Yeah, Shangri-La. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was like around that time, you know what I mean? Like when people, it was like almost like a parody mm-hmm. of, we were all parodies of this, this scene. Yeah. And I think that's probably why it died because mm-hmm. it was just getting too much. But we threw a Wes Anderson-themed party, and there were so many Richies and Margos there. <laughs> and I understand that like, yeah. y- if you're a girl, you don't really have a lot of options. Yeah. Here. It's like, what are you going to be the, are you going to be Meryl Streep and fantastic Mr. Fox? Are you going to be like fucking what's her face from Rushmore? Are you be like a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. But like almost all, I would say 70% of the dudes dress as Richie. And then the other 30% were Bill Murray in life aquatic. Cause they just got a blue yep. shirt and a yep. red hat. I, you- Girl, <laughs> you are exactly right. And get and, and then of course a couple of kids did like the the boy and the girl from Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, that was like fresh. Because I just come out. Yeah. But of course people were a little, you know, people were talking shit about that. Yeah, that's right. So I was the know? only person at the party that went as the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I wore uh. a brown suit and had a fox mask on. Uh. And I feel like people like Kind of not. So here's the thing about like hipster culture in that day. People didn't like clown you outwardly. That wasn't the vibe. The vibe no. was to be kind of quietly judgmental. Yeah. They, they wouldn't was... even like say, they wouldn't even whisper things to their friends. They just all no. like telepathically like this dude's not cool. Yeah. Like, okay. And I He's... feel like when I went to that party and when I was around these people in general, Dylan, like they all made me feel so uncool. Like honestly, it had a huge effect on me. I think like at that time because I was <laughs> well, that... really here's trying to fit in in Austin at that time, and I feel like people were like, "You're not cool," and I was like. When gay wasn't cool either, and I remember being like, oh, is mm-hmm. it because I'm, like, too flamboyant or whatever? And oh, mm-hmm. it was horrible, Dylan. I have a very similar, kind of similar story, but it's like, you know, I, I mean, like, I wear, like, psycho shit now, but I used to not wear psycho shows. I just lived in Austin, also 2012, um, and I was going to Barb's. I went for the first, I was going mm-hmm. alone by myself, 
I wore this huge, like, oversized pink shirt. It was a big pink button-down shirt and, like, white pinstripe pants. Oh, my God. I loved it. I thought it looked fierce. I walked in, and it felt like, um, you know, like, in in movies where it's, like, in ancient Egypt or whatever, and it's, like, the two guards, like, at the beginning of the palace, whatever. These two gays on either side of the entrance at Bard, and they both looked me up and down and went... (laughs) That was the vibe. That was the vibe. That was the vibe. That, people and then it this. truly turned me into the Joker. No, it did. It turned me into the Joker too because, <laughs> like, I it's it's so okay. Let, let, we're getting therapeutic this episode. Let's, like, let's I think go, Anna. When you're like me and Dylan, I'm gonna speak for you just a little bit because I think bit. that we, you know, it's you grow up like in the suburbs or a small town, right, ever in mm-hmm. Texas, and you know you're listening to like fucking Arcade Fire and shit, and you're like, I'm different. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, okay, I'm gonna move to Austin, and I'm gonna meet people that are like me. Yeah. Now. Obviously, your hope is to meet gay people like you, but you know that's unlikely. You already knew that then. Yeah. So you're like, okay, like I'm just gonna meet like these like you don't think of it this way because back then people weren't as identity politicsy. Yeah. But at the time, it's like basically I was like I want to meet cool straight people like that are into like movies and music just like me because mm-hmm. that tends to be the demographic, right? And I feel like I tried so hard in my early 20s to like fit in with them and be cool yeah. and like listen to records with them and be like part of this community, and I feel like they all shunned me like straight up yeah. like. Because I have, like, a bombastic and loud personality, and I'm, like, not, like, Richie Tenenbaum. I'm not, like, deadpan and, like, awkward <laughs> and weird. I'm just, like, I'm very extroverted. Yeah. And I feel like it turned people off, and I felt really ousted by them. And for a while there, I felt like I had, like, no friends, really, outside of, like, my, like, couple of mm-hmm. writer dies. And I just really felt like I was, like, wow, I came to Austin to find my community, and I feel like none of these people want me. Yeah, and it's, like, and the then, community I dreamt of isn't there. And then, lo and behold, like, ten years later, it's, like, cool to be flamboyant. Now all these straight boys, like, wear fucking makeup and glitter and put, like, mm-hmm. fingernail polish on their fingers. And I'm, like, fuck all y'all. Like, no. it just, like, sucks, like, being, like, I feel like I made myself more straight for all of them to make myself more yes. palatable. And then now they're all, like, queer culture is so cool. Yeah. And I know I- it's not their fault. I'm not trying to be blame gamey, but it's just, like, it's so weird. I feel like... We were at a weird age. We're at a weird yeah. age where it's like we we remember what it's like when being gay is not cool. We remember homophobia. Mm-hmm. We remember being bullied. But at the yeah. same time, we've gotten to experience at a pretty young age still like the cultural changes. Yeah. You know? The homophobia that we faced was very uh, macro and now it's like micro. Right. And it's just so interesting to me like – that I think the biggest thing I regret is there were people like me in this city, mm-hmm. like gay guys that were interested. I mean, in the we same came here at the me. same time. I know we never met until <laughs> never years, met. years, years later. So it's like, it's kind of sad because I feel like partially, no, we were always there. No, fuck it. We were always there, yeah. but I feel like we just didn't allow ourselves to seek that out because I think it was honestly internalized homophobia, honestly, because mm-hmm. I didn't think that I would find gay men that I could actually get along with. I no, yeah. really believed that back then. Yeah. I, I assumed every gay man was just like full on, you know, Fourth Street nonsense. Me too. And, and I, I thought they were all mean because they were right. They were like Fourth Street. So it's yeah, like, like the hipster shit, and yeah, they're and all they're like, mean you're, too. "You're like a weirdo faggot. Get away from me!" And yeah. then you like go to Fourth Street, and they're like, "Why are you so like? Why are you like this? Like, like I dress basically the way I dressed then. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's not like I dress weird or anything, but it's like because I dress like I'm in a Gregoraki movie, mm-hmm. not like. <laughs> You know, yeah, fucking Fourth Street circuit gay nonsense. Yeah. Sorry to no. shit on them. That's it's like fine. they were very like, so what's your deal? What's, uh-huh. So like, what do you do? So like, let me guess. You're like into like Licky Lee or whatever. <laughs> you know, like it was very that. You're like, you know, I follow Rivers too, bitch. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really, really found myself an Iron Bear. That was really like my. See, you're so lucky, scene. Dylan. And I'm not trying to be like, <laughs> like I never found my people, but like. <laughs> 
I love that Iron Bear exists, but like, and and I re- had to realize this over the years that like Iron Bear is not a space for people like me. Yeah. So like when I go to Iron Bear, like no one's like rude or mean to me. Actually, I'd say that they're probably nicer to me than most other gay bars. But there's definitely a sense of like, mm, this is not like really supposed to be like. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things. That's, <laughs> it's like, oh, are you in the wrong house, honey? They're like, yeah, Barbarella's right over there. Or like, right they're probably there. more, they're like, Chirp Charlie's is right over yeah. there. <laughs> then all the hipster gays became like hyper-political gays, mm-hmm. which is like, again, I'm not trying to clock it, it's fine. It's just yeah. like, but that's not really me. Like, I'm a political person, but I'm mm-hmm. not outwardly political. I don't think I've ever said anything political online in my entire life. Yeah, no, I stopped. I'm just not like Long that. Time ago. You know, I really do believe like, in how my parents raised me kind of mm-hmm. low-key. I'm a, I'm a good Texas boy. Like, I mm-hmm. don't believe you should talk about religion, politics, or any of that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... So I don't know, like, it, <laughs> Cheer Charlie's would make sense as supposed to be, like, my, like, scene. But I also, again, feel like they were as similar to, like, those guys at that Wes Anderson party, you know? Yeah. Like, the kind of rude, bitchy, side-looking, kind of like, why are you so loud? Okay. <sighs> Basically, bring loud, faggy gays back again. I fucking love it. I miss it. You know, I feel like I would have fit right in. I know it sounds weird to say this because it was not a great time for gay people, but I feel like I would have fit right in the 80s and 90s with gays. Oh. Like, because I feel like they were all just like loud, fun, and just doing their thing, you know, being bitches. Just, and just uh... like, it, it, and that's why I got so attached to Gregoraki movies when I was younger because I was mm-hmm. like, this is the universe I belong in. But he never found out. I know. Maybe they're in Chicago. Who knows? Honestly, let's fucking move to Chicago. Let's move to New York. (laughs) (laughs) We're too old. Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm moving to L.A. next year, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) God, what am I getting myself into? I just applied, like, yesterday for a writing job with a Magic the Gathering podcast that's based out of L.A., so pray for me. We can be... Yes, LA bunnies. LA bunnies. We can go to Squirrel or wherever. Squirrel's canceled. Um, I don't know. Speaking of canceling, it was a it was a toast store (laughs) or toast restaurant. Um, Speaking of getting canceled and toast, we're down. It is like an hour. (laughs) We went hard, baby. This was like the most therapeutic episode I've ever done. It felt really good. It feels really good. I feel Um, good. I feel great. I feel like I got a lot lot off my chest. Thanks, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Um, We're going to talk about our, this is a gay recommendation section of the episode where you recommend a movie that after you watch, you know, World Ten and Bombs, you're like, this movie is too fucking straight. I need something gayer. We got you, boo. We got you. Um, My movie is actually about the relationship between fathers and their children, but specifically fathers and daughters. Uh, And the father is a lunatic that comes back into a more successful uh, child's life and proceeds to run amok. And eventually they, you know, learn to love each other again. Um, This movie is gay because there is a part where they crash. I'm pretty sure it's a Romanian either birthday party or funeral um, and sing The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. Um, And this movie should have won the Palme d'Or. It's called Tony Erdman. Woohoo! Still never seen it. Did you know that George Miller was the president of the jury that year, and he specifically <laughs> blocked Tony Erdman from winning the Palme d'Or? Rude. Like everyone else on the jury Rude. wanted it to win, and he like hated it. <laughs> Rude. That movie's incredible. Oh yeah, didn't he choose like Deepon or something stupid? Yeah. Or, like, I, shows like a Ken Loach movie or whatever. Yeah, uh, another Ken Loach movie that no one's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> he has, it's crazy. He has like four Palme d'Ors. Um, but yes, yeah, Tony Erdman, it's mama, it's three hours long. Um, but is it's it worth so much it? fun. 
I is it worth it? Yes, I think so. I need to watch it. It's fun. The it's long a... movies list of Dylan long movies list is Tony Erdman and Margaret. <laughs> gotta watch those too. Honestly, I would watch Margaret first. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think I'm gonna like that one. Margaret's an, it's uh, every day I think about it. And I'm, I'm a like, big blessed. sucker for connecting storyline storyline movies. Like oh, Magnolia is one of my favorite movies, and I love like shortcuts and like stuff like that. So. Oh, yeah, this is even more of a vibe, baby. It's okay, a vibe. Cute. And um, after, afterwards, you'd be like, "Let's move to New York." Yeah. After, after you watch Margaret, you're like, you know what's cute? Getting hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have not. Let me let me come up with something off the top of my it head. It was I hard. Suppose. Yeah, it is a tough one. You know yeah. what? I'm going to go with a movie that I feel like is everything this movie's not mm-hmm. in a way, but it has connective tissue. Okay. So this is a movie about relationships with your parents. It's okay. also populated with very cool niche people, but instead of feeling like caricatures, they feel very real. Um, And it's a movie made by a very like indie, indie director that I feel like hasn't gotten his like flowers yet. And that's going to be 20th century women by Mr. Mike Mills. Um, I love this movie. I really want to rewatch it. It like, it's one of those movies I watched it and I liked it a lot, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like love it, but I think about it occasionally okay. and I'm like god what a great movie that was it was a movie that was centered around women's narratives but it didn't feel cheesy or like overly like woke feminism it felt very honest and real and it's like a movie about like I said cool fucking people like Greta Gerwig plays like a fucking like raincoats listening to like punk Hell it's yeah. badass um, Annette Benning is like a total character like a total gay mom type and it's a great movie. It's set in the late 70s, early 80s. Elle Fanning is there. So you know it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I would say that, that this 20th Century Women, I feel like it's a movie that people like, but I feel like, I don't know. It, it should be lauded more, I think. I think okay. it needs more flowers. All right. Yeah. Uh, it has Enemy of the Podcast, uh, Billy Crudup in it. Didn't realize that, so I will never see it. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I'll just mute him. Uh, but I've, I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. It's great. It. It's great. Yeah. Annette Bedding is great in it. Love her. And like I said, it's a good mama's boy movie. You know, it's about like a, a, a son's relationship with his weirdo mom. I love and that. He's like, but it's like a straight boy. But it's still Oh, he did Thumbsucker. I love Thumbsucker. Never seen that. Thumbsucker's great. Um, and then. And of course he did Beginners, which is like. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> I didn't really care for it too much when I yeah, saw it. Yeah, it's not great. I got him his Oscar though. Um, Christopher Palmer. Um, yeah, I mean, just watch World and Bombs. If you haven't seen it, it's good. It's it great. is good. It's a great movie, and it's simultaneously fun to watch, but also, like, we just discussed for an hour, like, a movie that had, like, such an importance on the culture. Yes, the culture. <laughs> yes, well, speaking mama. of the culture, we gotta go do our movie club. <laughs> yeah, right. So we gotta wrap so, this up. Let's wrap this up. I gotta drive to East Austin. All right. Uh, my name is Dylan Garcy. You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Garceed and Instagram at Dylan Garcia. And I'm Kirk Van Sickle, and you can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter at Kirk Van Sickle without all the vowels in it. Love it. Um, and also check us out on our Instagram and Twitter for our podcast, Straight People Movies. So S T R 8 P P L Movies. That's us. us. Yeah. yeah. The, the grid is beautiful. I love the grid. Our grid is gorgeous. My boyfriend designs it. And it's does an amazing job. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. All right. Well, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. And now came talk. Talk. Talk.